Blog Talk Radio. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello, welcome to the radio, uh, Wealth DNA radio show, and I'm hoping that uh, music fading the way it did is not a uh, foretelling of some technical problems. We're honored that you're joining us today. I'm confident at the end of this show you'll be sending me an email that this show was one of the best investments of an hour of your time, at least since the last Wealth DNA radio show, or maybe much longer. Actually, I've received some pretty positive feedback about our last show on creating your own investment, and I've been invited to present that topic to a group of real estate investors in Phoenix this Tuesday night. Now, on my journey to help a million people become millionaires, some encouragement along the way always helps. Unfortunately, the vast majority of savers and investors will never make it to that group of millionaires. They merely follow in the footsteps of other investors and stick to investment funds, which we also call mutual funds in the U.S., stocks, bonds, and cash. Now, are there some real obvious reasons they do that? First, it's easy. They can even place their buy orders and sell orders right from their computer or even from their smartphone these days. The second reason is that they just don't know any better. They don't listen to the Wealth DNA radio show. They don't know successful people like our guest today, Rick Gibson of Hot Ventures. Now, if they did, they would know the downside of following the crowd. If you do what the majority of people do, your wealth will be on par with those people's. And as regular listeners know, 95% of the population will never be wealthy. So when you follow in the footsteps of those people, you'll end up exactly where they are, struggling financially until the next paycheck or maybe the next Social Security check. We've been doing a series of shows on alternative investments, and we'll continue that series today. I've really been looking forward to today's show since I get a chance to interview a guest who's juggling more projects and uh, traveling more than I do in my 16-hour days. The topic today is venture capital, which we often refer to as VC. In each show, we try to make sure we share some great investment ideas or remind you about investment fundamentals or inform you of investments your broker doesn't want you to know about. Today is clearly one of those days. It is, by the way, June 10th, 2013. It's 9.02 in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, 9.02 Pacific Time, and 6.02 p.m. in Continental Europe. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. This show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you happen to miss a show, or if you want to go back and re-listen to the prior shows, like the earlier ones on alternative investments, you can hear them on the archives. Just go to www wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Now, for those curious about the U.S. equity markets, after a rather choppy week, the U.S. markets are up a little bit. Asia was mixed. Japan was up dramatically 5%, whereas China was down about 1%. Europe is mostly up, and Brazil is 
Brazil and Mexico are both down a little bit. Okay, I've... Uh, if you've been watching, as I have been, the precious metals markets lately, then you probably have noticed there's quite a bit of volatility going on. Well, what does that mean? It means it might be a good time to trade some of the leveraged ETFs to take advantage of that, uh, that volatility. Now, if you're not familiar with leveraged ETFs or how to take advantage of that volatility, you might want to go back and re-listen to a show we did on ETFs back in August of 2012. Back then, the only constant was change. And one of the things I'm noticing, Pete, I, just a reminder here, you want to make sure that we've got the chat window up. I haven't seen it come up yet, but uh, I should have reminded you as we got on. But um, Okay, and now personally, I suggest sticking with leveraged ETFs that are long precious metals and stay away from those that are shorting the precious metals. I feel they're far more likely to go up for the rest of 2013 than they are to continue to decline. Could I be wrong? Of course. But at least I walk the talk. So if you want to sell some of your ETFs or go short, I'll probably be buying them. Now, am I telling you that precious metals have bottomed? No, and I'll remind you that I'm not allowed to tell you exactly when they bottom. Now, please don't assume that I'm suggesting you do the same with bonds. Yes, interest rates and thus bond prices have been volatile lately, but that does not mean I'd suggest doing the same with bonds as with precious metals. Actually, it would be only fair to share that I'm actually shorting bonds, again, using leveraged ETFs. But in the case of bonds, short, not long ETFs. And one more very important comment. The use of leveraged ETFs is not appropriate for every investor nor should a significant percentage of your portfolio be in those volatile securities. I'm merely sharing my observations and what my plans are. Your financial situation could be very different, so you need to hear the advice and see if it fits with your situation. Now, if you're one of, your, if you're one of those many, many investors out there wondering what to do with the money that you take out of bonds or stocks and take profits, you just might pick up an idea in today's show. We have a lot to cover on venture capital, so I'd better introduce our special guest, Rick Gibson. He's got 39 years of experience building businesses. So those of you that are under 39 years old, he's way ahead of you. He's uh, been the founder or co-founder of a number of uh, successful technology businesses, and uh, he's worked with or advised 75 others. Now, for those of uh, you listeners who might have worked for just one company during your whole career, this might sound like Rick could never hold a job. To the contrary, he probably works with more companies simultaneously than most people work with hours in a day. So if you work eight or ten hours a day, chances are he's working with more companies right now. Now, Rick is the managing director of Hot Ventures, which he affectionately refers to as a mentor capital fund in the southwest of the U.S. Earlier, I mentioned the phrase walking the talk. Now, another term we might use to describe Rick Gibson is putting your mouth where you're, sorry, putting your money where your mouth, would, mouth is. Very common expression, right? Putting your money where your mouth is. Very often, he's not only advising those companies, he's also investing in them. Now, why would he do that? Because he knows their value will rise as they learn from him. 
I assume you've heard the term business incubator or technology incubator before. Well, Rick knows a lot more about those incubator, incubators than I do, and certainly most of us ever will, since he works with several of them. Let's give a warm radio welcome to our guest, Rick, Rick uh, Gibson. Welcome, Rick, and I'm really glad you're able to pry away from investing and traveling and meet with uh, me and our listeners for an hour or so. No, I'm very glad to be on the show with you, Ron. This is a beautiful day here in Arizona and uh, actually glad to be back. I just took a, a short journey uh, across the pond, as they say, uh, sort of business mm-hmm. and uh, and vacation, but I'm now getting uh, used to the, the warmth of Arizona once again. And you would you would pick some pretty warm days to be coming back, admittedly. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself? Let's say you're at a cocktail party. How would you introduce yourself? Well, I do like cocktail parties, and, and so when I'm there, I, I start out by saying that I build fast-growth technology companies. And I, I say that because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in, the, in the middle. I'm immersed in all different kinds of ways of building technology companies. I think I'd say, first and foremost, I invest in and I serve on boards, meaning I'm an advisor uh, Mm -hmm. to several companies, usually a few key companies at a time, but they all have their, you know, exciting period where I'm actively involved, and then as things progress, uh, then obviously companies evolve. But I, you know, primarily invest in and advise the companies I serve on boards. I also have to say, um, because I use the word technology companies, and run for a lot of people that like mm-hmm. means one thing or another. It means uh, a, com- a company in information technology, or it, sound- right. or it sounds to other people like biotech. One of the mm-hmm. things that's kind of different for me is my extremely wide range when I say technology companies. So for okay. sort of for example, the range that I, I sometimes quote, If I, again, I'm still at a cocktail party and, and enjoying mm-hmm, it sure. quite a lot, um, I, I would say a range from agriculture technology on one end, way, way over to things like ballistic armor or aviation way over on the other end, meaning from really soft and, and you know, the, the grain area to things as hard as aircraft. And then inside, in the middle there, uh, Information technology, healthcare, material sciences, sensors—all the more common uh, areas when people talk about tech companies. Correct. Now, I would say I think you're absolutely right. If if you said tech companies, that would be my first interpretation as well. Kind of the info tech and the biotech that we hear so much about. But uh, yeah, agrotech is not something I would have thought of, quite frankly. Now it seems you're on the road quite a bit. Flagstaff, Phoenix, Tucson, recently the UK. You seem to be juggling more balls simultaneously than I am. How do you manage to do all of that, stay energetic, enthusiastic? Well, I mean, to begin with, I don't know if you can tell, I'm, I really love what I do. I'm, I'm lucky. Uh, I'm not saying that everything always goes perfectly, but <laughs> the kinds of things I'm involved in, in themselves are, are stimulating emotionally and intellectually. And I think that's like one good pointer that gives me a lot of extra energy. I mean, I'm, I have to say, I'm really interested. Uh, and I'd say, unlike a lot of investors who are just doing it for the for the money, uh, I am lucky because I actually have a curiosity and a passion, and I love to learn. And for me, the ability to be involved in things like like aviation, like 
like surveillance, like um, like decontamination, um, huh. like banking and and finance. The the ability to be involved in these companies, the 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 uh, the luck I have to be involved in companies that are this interesting, and I think the great thing is I I surround myself with companies that are doing something that's important that really matters. I really try to be involved with companies that are actually making a change in the industries that they're they're in. I mean, it may just be for their individual industry, but they're actually going to make a difference. So that when I look at it, I I can one day I look forward to. I look forward to one day saying, I'm proud because I made a small difference in that industry, and I can actually see what happened as a result of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Or maybe even a big difference. Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm. I say, if, if you can get the 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 humor in this, I'm the master of understatement. I, I don't think there's anyone in the world that's as good as understatement as I am. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Hot Ventures and how it got started. So Hot Ventures, like a lot of other things for me, are, are is kind of accidentally formed. I mean, in, in fact, okay. just as a reference, I, my involvement as an investor, my involvement earlier as an entrepreneur, these things weren't in a, in a plan that, that I had uh, written down and set out to do. They, like a lot of things in life, they, they came to me, they, they evolved. So uh, actually an old friend of mine now and I, uh, back in 99, were talking about the excitement of the tech industry, and we said we should form a, uh, a tech incubator, meaning a place where we could bring companies in and grow them and, and invest in them and help them succeed. Let's form a tech incubator. And we, we thought of Hot Ventures originally as a tech incubator, and there was even some uh, news stories about, you know, another another incubator in Arizona, and would that would that be a good thing? Hot Ventures soon sort of evolved more to investing and advising in companies, and so much less a place, you know, where where companies okay. would locate and and we would house them. And my partner in those days seemed to have bigger and better things to do, and. Um, at that point, he went to go and to be involved in other things. And very shortly after we formed Hot Ventures, a few months, um, I became the the sole owner of Hot Ventures, and uh, I haven't looked back ever since. Very cool. Now, before I forget, let's get the website out to listeners. Some of them are multitaskers, where they can listen, they can be thinking through this stuff, taking notes, and at the same time reading something on the internet. So, what's the email address for Hot Ventures? So um, actually, you can, and I'm I'm a very open and public person. Mm-hmm. The best way to get to email me is just simply to email me at rick r i c k mm-hmm. at hotventures h o t v e n t u r e s dot com, mm-hmm. or if you want to find the website, it's www.hotventures.com. And I'm very open. I'm I'm still priding myself on getting back to just about everybody that contacts me and I I can't say I'm at 100% but I'm I'm hoping I'm in the high 90s because I'm really interested in hearing about things one of the things at hotventures.com that we we found out is that you don't always know whether a company is going to go somewhere whether it's going to have some value until you spend a few minutes or in some cases a few hours finding out about it so right. I 
I have a discipline where I really try to uh, to be helpful to others, but also so that I get to see things that other investors might sort of turn their nose at, or, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they might look the other way. I, I'm actually, I have a discipline where I really try to look and spend a few minutes, and if I can be slightly helpful, and, if, and it may turn out, you know, in a lot of cases, it turns out that I'm not actually involved. But right. I never know uh, when something is going to turn into be interesting to me, and I, mm-hmm. I, I actually have to warn myself not to come to a quick judgment because fundamentally I'm looking for a company that has some kind of asset value. And I don't mean cash in the bank. Right. I right. don't mean machinery or, or physical plan somewhere. I mean that there's some value where, where if it's properly uh, pursued, there actually will be some in, in, gigantic increase in value over time. And you can't just tell that by looking at, at a business plan or an executive summary or talking to someone for a couple of minutes, it sometimes mm-hmm. takes longer. So that's that's real. I, I probably spend half my time of, of all my time in in uh, sort of situations where where I am scouting uh, because I think one is it, it's a tremendous amount of fun. It's it's really enjoyable to be an adventurer, and I think of that I'm an adventurer in technology companies, but I also think I have to see. You know, two dozen companies to find one or two that I that I want to pursue, and that's sort of the the work part of it. But it is, uh, sure. I, I try to help companies along the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will admit you are very responsive. You're probably one of the fastest with emails, and I, I envy that. Uh, I get a lot of them. The only step I've made that really has been helpful is uh, dictating. I, I, I switched to this dictation software about a year and a half ago, and it really has been a huge productivity boost. Uh, so uh, that's, but otherwise, uh, keeping up with emails is not easy, and you do it extremely well. So I have to, I have to agree with that. Now, you also have on your website a um, link or a, an email address for submissions by entrepreneurs, correct? No, absolutely. So if you if you actually email submissions at uh, at hotventures dot com, mm-hmm. um, that that will go also. But frankly, I'll just you know a little inside secret that goes to a special folder for me. Where mm-hmm. in in the evenings I go and review uh, companies that have sent uh, sent submissions to me. So, you know, uh, the secret that you know just for the the listeners of this radio show sure. is you can contact Rick at Hot Ventures or submissions. Uh, the idea is you're getting to me. And I, you know, a comment on on how can Rick do all this stuff? Yep, I'm I'm you know the managing director of Hot Ventures. But what that really means is I'm sort of the tip of an iceberg of dozens, but probably more like hundreds of people that I work with. Mm-hmm. So part of the magic or the the technique, probably more than magic, is I do the things that I have to do to make stuff, to get stuff done. Right. Um, I make the introductions. I make the sort of strategic decisions. I, I, I bring the color and the value to certain companies. But, you know, Unlike a lot of people that are in regular jobs, I don't have a commitment to be somewhere nine to five and a boss right. and a requirement to do X amount of you know, operating work. What I'm trying to do is just push the switches and push the buttons to make mm-hmm. it. And a lot of his introductions, resources, um, once in a while, a speck of wisdom poured in there, perspective, <laughs> uh, contacts, and you know, and you know, actually, in in all of this, 
I find myself saying, the more I do, the more I can do. So the reason that the way I explain that is, for instance, I'm on a board of directors with with a particular company, and we're getting to know each other. I get introduced to another company, and it's really interesting that the uh-huh. second company could actually use an introduction to one of the board members on the first company. So mm-hmm. in a in a sort of lazy way, you might say, well, Rick, isn't that a lot more work to have to go and, and be participating in that second company? And the more the way I look at it is, no, oh, my gosh, I actually could, can accomplish what I need from the, for the first company by a contact and by a relationship that I've built up in the second company. So it actually makes things go faster because the greatest use of time isn't just the drudgery of the work. It's being able to accomplish something, and the more I'm involved with, the more I'm able to accomplish. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's talk from an entrepreneur standpoint. We talked a little bit about you know the, the, the submissions and getting to you, and you like to take a look at these things. But there are thousands of companies out there that feel that they could uh, grow more if they had more cash, more funding available. What are some of the alternatives that entrepreneurs should be looking at uh, when uh, looking for funding? So, and if I could just start with one word, uh, sure. and not exactly answering your question, That's but fine. the word. The word that I seek, I think the home base for finding money is relevance. I say it again, relevance. Okay. When you're raising funds, the most important factor in actually getting the money is talking to people that have some strong, strong connection to what you're doing. So the best way of of illustrating that is in the beginning when you're not known, when you're just starting – when you barely have your plan done, the best relevance you're going to have is friends and family. They're going to be people that mm-hmm. say, my gosh, I know you, and you're going to be successful, and I trust you. And, you know, frankly, even if I lost a little money, it wouldn't really disappoint me that much because I have this strong uh, uh, bind with you. Mm-hmm. So as the company progresses, though, what you want to do is not just look for I have to say, wealthy people or people with funds to invest. More important than that, you need to find people that have relevance. For instance, if you're in an Internet social media company that's dealing with retailers, probably the the people that are going to be most interested in what you're doing are are going to be people that have had experience like that or have a preference for that. So you don't want to walk into a room of investors that have no experience, no relevance, what you want to right. do is go to the places, and it might be a conference, a trade show, a club meeting, an association. You want to go and hang out where that particular domain, where that industry, where there's a buzz about that subject. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I caution people about thinking, well, the more investors in a room, the better off I am. I right, don't, right, right. That won't hurt, but that's not really the, the magic button there. The, bet, the button, again, is relevance. You want to go to where people are going to say, hey, maybe I don't have the funds, but, you know, my good friend my good friend John here, he actually is an investor, and I'll go and recommend you to John. And, you know, that's, that second-step introduction, second-hand introduction, sure. is actually it's going to be more valuable, absolutely. and your friend that has the relevance is going to talk you up like crazy. So absolutely, I'd, I'd look for relevance no matter what where you're raising money. 
Excellent advice. Let me take just a moment to remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you missed some of the prior shows, like the earlier ones on uh, alternative investments, or if you want to re-listen, we maintain an archive, wealthdna.us. Uh, if you'd like to get an email of, of a reminder of these shows, you can do one of two things. Send me an email, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted. Or in the upper left-hand side of the screen, if you're coming in through the Internet, just under the Boomer and the Babes picture, click the Follow button, and they will get the messages out. Reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to... Uh, Ask questions. The easiest is to start a chat in the area below the radio player. We're not going to try to do phone calls today just because of so many things we want to talk to our guest about. And that guest is Rick Gibson. We're talking about venture capital with uh, with Rick. He is the managing director of Hot Ventures based in Arizona. Okay, Rick, you're involved in, and that was a great answer, by the way, to the question. I, I think you more than answered the question because you, you hit the key point is what's the, you know, the real tip to the entrepreneur is is the relevance, not just uh, just going to some sort of standard process of these people might be able to lend to you. Um, but back to it, you're involved with uh, something that you call mentor capital, your venture capital, angel capital, and business technology incubators. I think it'd be worth describing each of those. Let's start with incubators. I think a lot of people have heard about them, uh, but you've been involved in a number of them, and a lot more have started up, at least in this area, in the recent past. Can you explain the concept of these incubators? Yeah, I'd love to. So an incubator is basically a place where a gathering of companies um, uh, is located, and uh, one, they get the location, but my emphasis here is more important than just the location or the real estate part of it. They get the services, and most important in the services that you get at an incubator, especially at a tech incubator, is the resources of contacts and talent and expertise and wisdom. Um, and I have to give you know a plug to an old partner of mine, who's sure. the founder of Idealab in Pasadena, California, mm-hmm. um, started what's called Idealab in 96. And I think for me, even though I had been in incubators before, that was the quintessential. And the idea in an incubator like that is there might be 10 or 20 companies in the incubator, but there's a buzz in the air of companies helping each other, of mm-hmm. one company who knows people, you know, in the old days you'd say it, Yahoo or at Google or even farther back at AOL, who knows the model for how do, how do you approach a big client like that. The idea is instead of an individual entrepreneur sitting in his own little quiet office space right. all by himself, you're in a beehive of activity where, where not only you're not worried about answering the phone or taking care of, of business, when you need a the best attorney for for a particular project you go you go and you find it from one of your compa- compatriots or one of your mentors when you need to get introduced to somebody at a particular channel or a client somebody in your incubator knows somebody who knows somebody to introduce you to when you're starting a company and you need advice on well do I do this format do I structure like this if I'm looking for customers what's the best way to find customers it's it's really almost uh, nonsensible to sit in in a room by yourself, you know, put on your thinking cap and think, how could I do this on my own? The best place to be is where 
it's almost a factory of ideas, and there's a lot of sharing and um, and inspiring, not not just sharing, but inspiring, and events mm-hmm. and uh, bits of content going on. Um, I mentioned I was part of Idea Lab uh, starting in '96 in LA. I also was part of Nolan Bushnell, the founder of Atari, had an incubator in 1983 that I was a part of. So I go back there, and quite frankly, I confess, when when I was born a long time ago, I was a little <laughs> preemie baby, and I was an incubator at just after birth. So it's a little different kind of incubator. That's right, but that's, that's right. But you've been involved with the incubators I'm, since, since I was born, I was involved in incubators. <laughs> I like that. i got, I got to remember that one. Now, Idea Lab's the one that Bill Gross started, correct? Yeah, and, and yeah, Bill Gross said... Known, I think. Yeah, probably in the world of entrepreneurship and investing, one of the foremost innovators, uh, an old friend of mine, going back to 1984. Um, as part of my background, I thought I should mention it, Ron, that I met Bill in 84. Um, I think Bill is a, a quintessential on- entrepreneur, and I met him in five minutes after I met him. He said, Rick, stop all the things you're doing. You need to come wow. and help me start this company. Well, that was 84. We started a company. Uh, we uh, made products for Lotus One Two Three, and by oh, yeah. 1986, early, we had already sold our company to Lotus Development Corp. Which, in those in '86, Lotus was the Google was big. Uh, oh yeah, sure. of that day, oh, and yeah. we already had an exit. We sold our company for about ten million dollars after two years of founding the company. Um, Bill Gross and I also, and a couple of others, founded. Another company in 1990-91 called Knowledge Adventure, which was in the CD-ROM edutainment space. And it was a classic entrepreneurial startup. There were four or five of us in a little room with ideas. It was mostly Bill's inspiration and his brilliance. And uh, I I ran sales. We, We got sales up to about $30 million in annual revenue by evolving like crazy and a lot of Bill's brilliant ideas, and by 1996, this is just so you know it does happen, and this is where my mm-hmm. inspiration happens. In 96, we sold Knowledge Adventure and became a part of uh, Universal Studios, uh, sold the company for $100 million in 96. Wow. So I, the, the thing I have to say, Ron, is that what that did, and I, I definitely have deep respect for Bill, but what I got from that was the taste, of knowing how it gets done, yep. and even if, even if I'm not quite the globetrotter that Bill is, I I traveled with the best. I learned from the best. Bill Nolan Bushnell, a founder of Atari, and several others. The ability, the 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 pleasure, and the honor to have been with these world class entrepreneurs. I mean, and I say world class. I mean historically amazing. Sure. Makes a guy like me who's just hardworking and has a little bit of wisdom, gives me a position to apply that inspiration and, and those lessons uh, to to build companies and also to figure out which companies are, are good to invest in. And it sounds like those incubators are, as you said, if there's enthusiasm in the air, enthusiasm is contagious, and it sounds like that same has stuck with you for most of your career. Yeah, and I just have to say, an incubator is not just a place it's right. not about real estate. It's not just about a building. It's mm-hmm. mostly about talent and mentorship and resources and contacts. 
So sure. if people you know, out there are thinking about which incubator to go to, it's more about the people than it is about the sure. building. Um, it's, it's not about real estate. It's just, you know, of course you need a location somewhere. Right, right. No, very important. Now, from an entrepreneur's perspective, it would seem, given those resources, given the contacts, that somebody that's working in an incubator involved in one, one form or another, whether they still have their office space there or, or, or just staying involved, uh, they're more likely to end up with getting funding just because of those contacts. Am I correct? Oh, it, not only that, it's actually statistically proven. Um, there's uh, in, an association called the National uh, Incubation Association here mm-hmm. in the U.S. Actually, it and it goes, uh, it's called the NBIA. Um, it stands for something really important, NB as in boy, IA. And mm-hmm. their statistics show that uh, companies not in an incubator, that only 20% of them will have survived after five years. Wow. And it's actually the reverse is true, that 80% of companies that have gone through an incubation will still be, uh, surviving uh, five years after their founding, so it's it's because you know they say it takes a village, um, and right, the to, other to sort kid, of uh, yeah. metaphor I like these metaphors is you know you can't steal first base, you know you need to get on first base, and mm-hmm. so the idea of being in an incubator it's almost like you're you already got to start you're already gotcha. on on your way because uh, you you get a lot of benefit from rubbing shoulders with other people who are doing it like you, but others that have already done it. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, how about from an investor's perspective? You're involved with a lot of these incubators and obviously consume some of your time. You must enjoy doing it. There must be some other side benefit. Are, are you getting access to some of the up-and-coming t- companies and getting a chance to kind of see what they're doing and, and learning about them, whereas other investors that uh, wait until they contact them uh, wouldn't see that? And was that one of the major advantages? Yeah, well, I would say, especially with Arizona and to some degree with California, because I'm involved uh, actually at a board level with uh, four incubators and then very close and chummy with several others, um, I'm I'm asked to to screen companies. I'm asked to judge at events. I'm mm-hmm. asked to advise companies. And as a result, um, I think that a lot of the, we call it deal flow, but a lot of the great companies that are out there even in the very beginning, I get to see them early on. And I I don't always pick, you know, you were talking about not just going, not following the crowd. Right. I don't yep. pick necessarily the companies to get involved with that the other investors do because mm-hmm. I'm looking for assets that I personally can help involve, uh, evolve. Fair not point. just, for me, it's not just putting some money in a company and then waiting to see what happens. My mm-hmm. role, you know, I, I only invest in companies that where I'm going to make a difference personally because that's a way of multiplying and magnifying my value add. I mm-hmm. put some money in, but then I also introduce them and make contact strategically with companies where they're either going to be customers or they're going to be channel partners or they're going to bring some value, and that's mm-hmm. how I get to to magnify the value of the companies that I'm involved with. So I... I I see lots of companies. I, I think that every day uh, I'm contacted by probably at least two or three companies, uh, wow. fresh companies that I've not heard of before. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about maybe 800 or 900 companies a year. And again, I'm try- I try to be polite 
to to sure. almost everybody I can, and and then in some cases we build a relationship, and and then in the special cases there's you know we actually have we do some kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the term a wise person used kind of uh, related to which companies you get involved in or, or like to look at is a term called relevance. Would that be a fair statement that applies to you as well? Yeah, and I mean I'm I'm looking for companies where they're going to make a difference and where I see that, you know, if if we rub two sticks together, there's going to be friction. Uh, A lot of other investors, I think, and and good for me but not so good for them, they look for companies that are perfectly shaped and formed, that have no defects and no issues. And uh, I look for companies that have assets, again, not hard assets, but with things that they do amazing, where they solve a problem, and in some cases there's some flaw with with the cha- with the customer channel or the product has some issue that has to be solved. But that's sort of that's my you know my job to go and help them figure out how to fix those things, mm-hmm. and that's why you know why why the opportunity is so big because because we're willing to go in there and uh, and do the work. Right. make Help the repairs that will make the company um able to sell. I mean they might have, you know, a broken wing. Well you have to fix that fix that wing to to help the company uh soar. Okay. Now you have access to these incubators, I have more access, you're 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 directly involved with them. How about if another investor wants to get involved in funding companies? I would assume that is kind of a that's not something they can easily do is just all of a sudden become involved with these incubators. Uh-huh. Or is there a way? No, there is a way, actually. Okay. I mean, to begin with, um, nationally, there's what's called the Angel Capital Association, which mm-hmm. is not only national but international. We just had a big meeting up in San Francisco. So you can always find uh, your your angel groups and your incubators through either Angel Capital Association or through M- MBIA, the Incubator Association. Mm-hmm. And both of those groups, are not only you know not only allowing uh, uh, people to participate, but they encourage uh, advisors and mentors because these companies do need help, and you don't have to be a mentor that can help them in all ways. You just need to be be able to be a mentor that can help them in one way or another. So mm-hmm. if you if you go to the MBIA uh, website, the Incubator Association, or the Angel Capital Association uh, website, they're always looking for mentors. Uh, There's so many companies that could use uh, support. And you'll find, I mean, a lot of your listeners will find companies that need a particular particular kind of expertise. Expertise, okay. Yeah, that that almost everybody has something to contribute. So you don't have to be the the uh generic uh, uh mentor that it can advise you may be advising one of your listeners may be advising on a on a domain or an industry that they know in in pr- uh, pretty well mm-hmm. and so i encourage them to be involved with the angel group uh in arizona we have several angel groups uh mm-hmm. in um we have several uh probably close to 19 or 20 various incubators uh, I'm involved from Tucson, what's called AZCI, Phoenix, Tall Wave, and um, uh, Center for Entrepreneurship in Maricopa, and then 
big group up in Flagstaff called NACET, uh, which actually operates a whole bunch of incubators. I'm on the executive board there. And we're, you know, one point I have, Ron, though, is there's there are probably two uh, varieties, two main varieties of incubators, okay. and, and they both serve a purpose. One is a not-for-profit incubator organization, and then there's the for-profit, like, uh, for instance, Idealab is a for-profit incubator. It's privately held. Its okay. uh, its shareholders make money on its successes. In uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona, there's Tallwave, which is also a for-profit. However, um, a lot of the municipalities, a lot of the states um, have the nonprofit incubators, and those are publicly funded and do mm-hmm. an amazing job. And these days, a lot of the municipalities are forming their own particular uh, incubators to promote business in their in their region, uh, and those are really really great. It's kind of uh, they both are sort of do two different personality of an, of uh, tech incubators, but they both serve a very valid uh, 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 purpose. Okay, you know that's one perspective we don't usually talk about. Is is uh, let's talk about these nonprofits for just a moment. Uh, are they cost effective? Or do they make sense for a town? Uh, you know, whether it's Peoria or it's. Uh, um, Scottsdale or whatever. I mean, does it make sense for these towns? Does it make economic sense for the town and the taxpayer to set these up? I mean, I think I, I can sense the answer, but I'd love to get your perspective on that. Well, okay. So uh, I, I think I have two replies to that. So okay. first and foremost, the, the the jury's out on a lot of them. So I, I, I start with that and because okay. there's been an incubator boom in the last year or two. I mean, yes. beyond yep. belief. Uh, and, and on one side, it seems like every municipality in Greater Phoenix, and uh, there are probably 12 of them, um, is. Uh, Call from 336. Oops, that's yours, sir. Something in the background there? Yeah, some, someone sending a message to someone there. So um, hmm. the, the, uh, the, the jury's still out on, on a lot of those, and. Um, where we're seeing where that where that comes from. The second part of that is that it really depends on the companies that uh, that the incubator chooses to bring in. So here's okay. when it comes to nonprofit, and it's almost I'd give almost my advice to the nonprofit incubators, Excellent. but also a comment on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really really important that that the choice of companies that are brought into the incubator uh, is made. With, with, with the view of how successful that company will be. So, as opposed to the obligation to bring a particular company into a nonprofit because the city feels, you know, like it it's supposed to help a bunch of companies. The real issue for those, even the nonprofits, is they are going to be judged and they're going to be successful based on the on the exits and the successes of the companies they bring in. Sure. Um, so I think, it, in my view, is it's not about just about public service. It's not about loyalty to the community. I think even for the community, what's most important is bringing in great companies that get famous and get successful. The reason for that, even for the nonprofits, is that enables that incubator to, to, bring, to grow and to further grow, like NASED has, uh, in in Flagstaff to gain a lot of momentum so that it, it gets empowered to be able to bring in more and more companies 
by virtue of the successes it's had. So that that's sort of a, uh, I think a lot of these incubators will succeed. Some that are doing it more routinely and more sort of out of obligation, you know, to, mm-hmm. to have to, to serve companies, they, they really need to pick the very, very best companies that represent their communities. So there's some advice for the uh, municipalities from somebody that's been there and knows. Uh, yeah, before we thanks. continue, for those listeners just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive, and if you missed prior shows, those archives are available on wealthdna.us. Today we're talking with Rick Gibson of Hot Ventures about venture capital. Okay, Rick, uh, Let's uh, when, when we had uh, Curtis Gunn and, and Bass Horner on um, a little while back, they, they, they gave me a, a very good comment, I thought, which was uh, insightful. A key difference between angel capital and venture capital is that the venture capital firms tend to be very specialized. They focus on one particular niche. Uh, it could be agrotech, as, uh, you know, picking one from your list, or it could be you know biotech companies, or it could be biotech companies specifically uh, you know, tied to one particular area of, uh, of expertise. Uh, would you agree with that statement in differentiating venture and angel? Yeah, I definitely agree with it. I think, I mean, there's a fundamental difference between venture capital. I mean, so backing up a little, sure. we, we can call the whole area the sort of venture-style companies. These are companies yep. that are usually technology companies, and their purpose is uh, for for serving their shareholders. Now, mm-hmm. the difference is a venture capital fund is a professionally managed institution that raises money from, uh, in most cases, retirement funds and and other uh, um, larger uh, uh, holders of cash. Mm-hmm. The venture funds raise money from those institutions, and they're actually being paid to invest in the very best companies. That okay. that is in contrast with the typical angel investor who's usually involved in something and then on a part-time basis is dabbling or investing in companies using their own personal money. So there's a very very mm-hmm. big difference there. The angel investor okay. is is in a position to uh follow his, his or her preferences, his interests in a venture capital fund, they start out with a charter, and the charter, which goes to its investors that are putting money in, says, "Here are the areas we're going to that we're expert in, and here are the areas we're going to invest in." So, for instance, if a venture capital fund is chartered to be involved in information technology, all of a sudden, it's not—it's actually not allowed to go find some healthcare and biotech companies gotcha. that they discover and find they really, really like. In most cases, that's not their expertise. That's not how they were founded. It's not in their charter. Whereas, say, me as an angel investor, um, I look for things that are shiny. <laughs> and literally, I've had a friend of mine, Doug Nutter, who said, I, I, I'm really good at finding shiny. So um, I look for shiny and when I find something that I say, oh, my gosh, what an awesome company, great team, mm-hmm. they're, they're serving a market that is really in need of a change, they have a solution, they have the right intellectual property protection, I can envision where this company is going, I don't ask anyone whether, I don't need to ask anyone whether I should get involved with that company. 
I can go pursue it because I'm because I'm motivated to do it. A venture capital fund, while VC funds have usually have much larger amounts to invest, they're much right. more structured and 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 constricted. Gotcha. Now, is it fair to say that also most venture capital funds are really restricted to institutional investors or these uh, maybe these family offices of very wealthy people? We're talking of uh, tens of millions invested as minimum or a hundred million. Uh, is, is that fair to say? Or are there some venture capital firms that uh, that that do use uh, lower minimums or or allow other investors? Yeah, they're for the most part they get their money from institutions. The difference is there are some venture venture capital funds that are are based and they're you know they're they're every now and then they're based on uh investments from successful entrepreneurs themselves so mm-hmm. there are a few especially up in in Silicon Valley that have been formed by you know people that I might hang around with um mm-hmm. who are who are not necessarily institutions but they they have made uh these people have made a whole bunch of money in other deals they've been in the advantage to those funds and they're they're slightly more open to individuals than the typical venture capital fund the advantage is that they have a wealth of experience and and wisdom and contacts um so uh for the most part vc funds are are you know even if you look at the size a small vc fund would be a hundred million dollar fund, and some mm-hmm. VC funds that around have historically uh, uh, had raised as much as billions of dollars. There, there are a few VC funds that have had three, four, five, eight billion with a B. Yeah. Um, oh. A, a middle sized VC, VC fund these days is is a few hundred million dollars. So yeah. when you think of a few hundred million dollars. Um, they they can't necessarily make small investments and right. be able to actually employ all that capital. So mm-hmm. you'll you'll be finding VC funds are going to look for the typical VC fund is going to look for investments, uh, uh, look to make an investment of five million, ten million, twenty million dollars um, because they can only their partners can only manage so many uh, funds and they need to sure. actually make their investments larger. Whereas we're comparing to angel angel investors, a typical angel investment could be as little as twenty five, but typically fifty, a hundred thousand, or or a few hundred thousand uh, per angel investor. Mm-hmm. That's why the angel groups are important because that's where you'll get you know thirty Multiple. to a hundred individual angels in a room, and when when an entrepreneur or a company needs to raise a half a million or a million dollars, you have the group effect of several angels in the room where you can put that money together with Correct. individual investors who together will make up a half a million or in some cases even a couple of angel groups getting together raising a million or two for a particular company. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 just to build on your point, so in essence, each of those angels, those making a individual assessment, the yes, I want to be part of this uh, larger group investment uh, versus a VC that's either yes or no, and this is how much we're putting in, and it's the management of that VC that makes that decision. 
Uh, right. A very, very good point. Okay. Now, VCs often invest, especially because of the size, after there's already been some funding from, from angels. Would it, therefore, be fair to say that the VCs have a little bit lower risk than uh, angel investors? Well, yeah, I would say their their risk of a company uh, being a, a complete failure is mm-hmm. less. Right. However... The, the, in contrast, the properly timed angel investment actually might have a greater yield. Um, I understand. Angels will take uh, a, a bigger uh, a bigger risk in the beginning, and that run just brings the point is that this is sort of advice to your angel investors out there: mm-hmm. is the smart angel investors uh, have a portfolio of, of investments they have made. So, if you're an angel investor and you have say $500,000 to invest, the mm-hmm. best uh, uh, theme for that is don't take your 500000 put that in one company. Your best right. you know, move would be to, to put $50,000 in 10 companies. Mm-hmm. They say angel investors should have a portfolio ultimately, I mean, not instantly, but sure. ultimately of a dozen or a couple of dozen companies and the main factor in that is while people like like myself and others were pretty good at knowing what uh, what great companies look like, but mm-hmm. we don't know uh, what outside factors will bring in. So while sure. I, I can point out you know a dozen to two dozen companies that I think will be successful, I'm not even positive as to which ones individually are going to be the ones that end up uh, succeeding. Mm-hmm. So. While I can pick a group of great companies, sometimes it's surprising. You know, companies come from behind, and, and it's and it's always amazing. There, there, there are companies that surprise like that, and then there are actually companies where some some horrible event happens. A competitor announces a product. Uh, uh, a founder has a particular problem. Uh, funding is hard to get for some particular reason, mm-hmm. and sometimes darling companies which which you know several of us have looked at for years and have an interest in sometimes a darling company like that can can meet, meet a horrible death so right. so you have right. to be prepared to have a a collection a portfolio of companies that sort of hot ventures for me is you know my 20 or something uh companies that have sort of passed the the valley of death that are have all sort of survived past the first few years Mm-hmm. And the idea is to have a, a portfolio of companies that you can count on several of them succeeding, but you don't know exactly which ones will will will, will have exits. Okay. Now, you define Hot Ventures as a mentor capital firm. Uh, describe what you mean by that. I, and I think the name is a very good one, but uh, you know, just make sure that our listeners understand your perception or your, your interpretation of that term, mentor capital. Well, I mean, in that I'm a hybrid investor – uh, and, and again, I don't just write checks and, and then hope mm-hmm. for the best. Um, I think that the more important contribution that I make in the deals that I do are my source of uh, contacts and resources, the, the people that I run into every day and my sort of contact base of thousands of people that I think can help the companies I'm involved with. And again, I sort of kiddingly say, and 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 then a little bit of wisdom every now and then. Um, I think that that those factors make much more of a difference than the 
say 50K I might put in a company or 100K I might invest in a company because I can find a lot of investors that can put, you know, put the money in. But I think in that I'm full-time, I mean, again, most right. angel investors are uh, are not full-time. They're, they have something else they're doing or they're semi-retired and they really enjoy investing in a few companies here and there. But, I mean, I'm, I'm immersed in building fast-growth companies. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, I think that term mentor capital would have actually been a good company name too. So uh, you probably didn't think of it right away, but uh, I thought it'd make a great company name. Hopefully, somebody doesn't steal it. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> now you've worked with, and, and by the way, can I uh, ask if you if you'd have a few more minutes available? Uh, we don't have a hard stop on this show just because yep. we don't have a show right after it. You, you mind taking an extra five uh, plus minutes uh, with I'm, us just because I'd be I've got some. To. Okay, good. Good. I just didn't want to, you know if you had a problem on the other end. No, uh, I'm good. Good. You've worked with a number of talented people, I'm sure. You've mentioned a few um, and a variety of different companies, some successful, uh, some very successful, some less so, as, as the usual mix would be. What particular examples kind of stand out in your mind of, of uh, you know, great people and great companies? Well, I mean, I think that uh, I'm I'm impressed with, with, with companies right and left, um, I, I mentioned my friends Bill Gross and, and mm-hmm. Nolan Bushnell, and I think as one of the companies that's impressed me the very most, um, one of the early Idea Lab companies, I was in the room when Bill Gross was talking to a bunch of people about this idea about um, selling uh, paid-for search on on the Internet. We're talking about 1996, 97, when the Internet was very young, uh, when when no one really understood where the internet was going, there was a yep. company uh, which was called GoTo.com, uh, which mm-hmm. ended up being uh, be, its name became Overture.com. Uh, the founder of that company um, was and Bill were pitching the concept to a bunch of other investors and people in the room, and most of the people said that it would never happen, uh, that there would never be a a, a role. Uh, for that kind of company, the Internet, um, two things that sort of disprove it. And this is the tenacity of someone like like a Bill Gross or a, a Nolan Bushnell. Um, that, that company, first of all, um, was sold to Yahoo for $1.3 billion. I believe it was 98 or 99. Mm-hmm. Um, the tenacity of that kind of company. The other irony in right now is that same business model is most of Google's uh, revenue today, you know, Google being sure. really the quintessential model for a company. So I think that, uh, you know, I'm almost more uh, inspired by the qualities of, of that kind of person. I mean, to begin sure. with, um, this kind of entrepreneur, um, he starts by actually knowing more about the domain than anyone else around him and gathering mm-hmm. more information about that domain as time goes on. But it's it's not only that, the tenacity of being able to stick to that. So I, I right. I'm Despite involved the obstacles. with uh, yeah. I'll give one example of a of an entrepreneur today, um, um a guy named Don Gleason who runs a company called Mobile Authentication Corp. Um mm-hmm. he's in his early sixties or mid sixties. He's been in banking for years, he's credited wow. for like being right in the middle of uh, of creating the drive-up ATM. I mean, 
almost you could say he's one of the inventors of the the drive up ATM, and he's had a long, long career in banking. The idea is that his background, his domain expertise, there's really it's, it would be hard to find someone in anywhere in the banking industry that knows more about creative new products. And so when he he discovers a a potential in a market, and frankly, there's in in uh, in the whole internet world, in the mobile space, in commerce, you know, we're all concerned about security. It's yeah, one absolutely. of the biggest security and authentication. So he's formed a company called Mobile Authentication Corp. Uh, that's a leader in in uh, what's called a two-factor authentication. Um, Don is is somebody I think of greatly. Another another major uh, in, inspiration to me uh, is Ken Keith, um, who is the CEO of Extra Aircraft. Uh, I'm involved mm-hmm. with with Extra uh, as an, I'm involved in a group. Uh, that's advising Extra on financing and regulation, a whole series of things. Right. Extra Aircraft is known as an aerobatics company. It's actually famous as an aerobatics. Ah. They make aircraft. Now, um, what's happened recently, and this is the tenacity part that I need to point out, I give mm-hmm. tremendous kudos to Ken Keith. Um, Extra applied for its uh, certification, got it in Europe right away, and there, there's supposed to be a... a uh, sort of a collaboration with the FAA, and now it's been like a year or two in getting uh, the certification from the FAA. But I'm kind of proud to say that Extra Aircraft is just two weeks ago, I believe it was, got or three weeks ago, got its certification to fly in the U.S. from the FAA. And hmm. now great, great aircraft called the Extra 500 is, you know, sort of a turboprop business aircraft, six-seater, the 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 area of aviation now that's the hottest. So Ken, through his tenacity of design of uh, of, uh, of of composite and uh, all kinds of engineering expertise and engineering frugalness, is now launching the Extra 500 in the U.S. This is the kind of brilliance, head down domain expertise. I look for for people like like this because to me just just to know them is is interesting. Right. To to be able to help them is another thing. And then you know when I think of it and say, well, I actually have a small stake in a company like that. You know, a modest mm-hmm. stake. It to me, it's it's so inspiring to work with other people that are capable of of being so innovative and and so so smart about their own domains. Well, you know, it's interesting. Let me just use that example uh, to, to, to touch on something you mentioned earlier, which is some of these companies don't necessarily succeed or succeed as well as everybody expected. If they didn't get that certification, that clearly would, uh, you know, put put a hindrance into that move forward. Now, it sounds like he would keep moving and try keep trying for the certification. But again, those are the kinds of things that can cause somebody's uh, one or two investments to stumble is uh, oh, certifications or, absolutely. or uh, uh, government approvals and that kind but of stuff. In his mind, this is the great thing, the sort of Bill Gross mentality, Ken Keith knew he was going to get it and knew that if anything was in the way, he was going to figure out a way to to achieve it. And some of those people are so single-minded. Now then, you know, we don't hear as much about the single-minded people that fail, but the idea is uh, finding the ones that you know have the, the guts and the assets to survive. I mean, uh, their extra in Europe is 
is selling several planes a month and is <laughs> has would 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 continue in Europe even without the US but now it makes an international company capable of actually doing business most places in the world and we're actually involved in um uh, in uh uh talking to investors in China and uh partners all around the world because of the certification so it puts me in a position of being really really proud but also you know to to have again a, a tiny part of that upside makes it makes it <laughs> extremely inspiring and the the um number of companies you would work with and obviously over a longer period of time do, do some of them become kind of like your own kids you've nurtured them you've encouraged them and now you kind of look back and feel proud about how they've turned out yeah well they they absolutely do and i i tell you in a in a company there's there are inflection points when you realize a company and i say this with with a great amount of respect when you realize a company becomes a real company you know i mean mm-hmm. that where actually all of a sudden you go oh my gosh and and some of the, one of those is like when somebody tells you they've heard of your company and you go to, you right. say to yourself, "Oh my gosh, I don't even know how you could have heard of our company yet, but that is so amazing." The mm-hmm. the final inflection point I have to say is when the founder is in a position to actually leave and go away on a vacation and the founder can come back and see that the company's actually made progress. So one of my favorite phenomena in in building these companies, momentum is so so big when a company has enough momentum inherent momentum and it's able to actually grow almost on its own spirit and and force that mm-hmm. is when you know you really created something when i mentioned knowledge venture earlier we sold knowledge right. venture in 96 we were doing about 30 40 million dollars a year the thing i'm most proud about knowledge venture is by 1999, under Vivendi Universal, under Universal Studios, mm-hmm. Knowledge Venture had grown to be a $400 million wow. annual revenue company, doing almost a half a billion dollars annually. And I can say, talk about pride, I'm just like, and I can't even believe it sometimes, that that I was one of the founders of that company, and I had, and I made my, you know, my small contribution to make it successful, and then here it is. Uh, you know, like we're talking about nine years later, it's it's a company that's doing off almost a half a billion dollars in sales. I mean, that to me, not only that we had the exit and we made some money on the sale, but even more importantly, that the company had enough momentum and, and you know, it all is based on having enough customers who want to buy the product and, you know, sales is everything. So, very proud of it. The you know you you know how to do this stuff you've got the experience you're doing it full time uh if i or other investors wanted to to uh, do something similar is it possible to invest with you to jump on board and say hey we kind of want to follow on your on your coattails is that something that's possible with hot ventures yeah first uh, obviously i would never solicit uh, individual investment but anyone that has an interest in uh participating with me or likes to hear about any of the companies or has interest can just simply, you know, email me rick at hotventures.com mm-hmm. and uh I I love I love having colleagues, I love having conversations and I've got so much going on there's there's plenty uh plenty of uh, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah, plenty of potential to share. So, uh I would encourage it. 
Okay. And uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask you, and it goes back to, to, to a comment you made earlier, but I want to make sure people heard it. You've been involved in a lot of ventures. You've got this energy. It, it can't be just earning the money. Uh, after each of us have sufficient assets to, to have our family live comfortable, uh, comfortably, we focus on things we love doing and making a difference in the lives of others. Uh, does Rick Gibson represent that statement? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I could just stop right now and I'd say and wait for, you know, 10 or 15 of my companies to have their ultimate successes. But you know, to me, I'm I'm full of inspiration. It's like some guys are into sports, you know, for mm-hmm. the excitement of it, for the uh, sort of pride of it. Um, to me, there's nothing more fun. I get a little bit of a chill when I feel like a deal is done and a company has succeeded. So, you know, I'm I am a you know uh, habitual uh, serial entrepreneur turned investor, and frankly, I'm a I'm a deal junkie. So I, I I I'm sure I'll be doing this, uh, you know, from my uh, from my retirement home and making excuses to my wife ten years, twenty years from now. As I'm just going in the other room to do a little work, honey, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, I really do enjoy it. Okay, uh, one of the questions from from one of our listeners. I, I was I was paying so much attention to you, I forgot to check my chat window. Uh, in the West Valley of of uh, the Phoenix area, uh, I'm aware of incubators in Surprise and Peoria. Are there other ones? Yeah, actually, and I'm sort of a an uncle of the uh, BioInspire incubator mm-hmm. in uh, uh, in uh, Peoria. Uh, okay. Well, well, actually, and uh, the uh, I'm not sure. No, I don't. I'm trying to think of offhand in West uh, West Valley, West right. Phoenix. Um, I think those would probably be probably the two best incubators. Two primary ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Fair enough. Now, before I forget, let's remind uh, listeners how to get more information about Hot Ventures. That website again is www.hotventures.com. Very simple. Now we've covered a lot of ground today. What comments would you like to add, whether it's to entrepreneurs, whether it's to investors, or maybe even to politicians? Well, I think we have to inspire people. My 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 favorite words are inspiration, motivation, momentum, passion, and and that's all. That inspiration and that that uh, mo- momentum comes from doing great things and showing other people how it can be done. So I think as much as we can make an example of the successes we've had, you know, in Arizona, in the Southwest, and throughout the U.S., uh, there are things going on. I'm I'm involved in things throughout the country. Um, there are things going on, and we just want to be able to uh, to inspire other entrepreneurs and investors because these successes do happen. It's never easy, but they happen, and each of us can can be a part of something that succeeds. Okay, and uh, you know, part of that, I guess, uh, you know, you you made the comment earlier to some of the local governments that they need to be a little bit more uh, selective in picking some of the best companies, not just make it an open door policy. Uh, but I guess their whole concept behind this still is uh, a positive from that inspiration and 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 support and trying to give the infrastructure and and you know open up opportunities. Is I think at least they understand that small business and especially these entrepreneurial startups are ultimately 
ultimately what uh, are the major engine of growth for the economy. So at least they're making some steps in the right direction. I guess it's just a matter of improving on what they're doing. Yep, yep. And one last comment on that. It's, sure. So the, the entrepreneurial community is not the, the same kind of ilk as, say, the Chamber of Commerce, which is serving Correct. companies. We're, we're looking for the extremely awesome companies that are making a difference, and those mm-hmm. are the companies that will have exits and that those people, when they make money on those exits, will invest in other companies. That's the momentum thing that I'm talking about. Fantastic. Rick, on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you for taking uh, more than an hour of your Monday morning to meet with us, discuss uh, venture capital and the whole uh, arena we've covered. I probably dug in deeper than I had planned, but it was just uh, fascinating on the incubators and and, and angel capital and, and mentor capital. Really appreciate your sharing or your knowledge and experience with us. Thanks very much, Ron. Enjoyed it. All right. And hopefully we can invite you back sometime in the future. I'd love it. All right. Let me summarize a few things for uh, for uh, the uh, listeners uh, with us. The first thing I'll mention is that financial advisors, I can bet, and it would be a pretty large bet I'm willing to make, that they did not mention the opportunities available with startups, angel investors, or VC. Why? Because financial advisors, if you allocate part of your portfolio to these entrepreneurial ventures, it leaves less money for them to earn a commission or fees on. That probably explains why you listen to the Wealth DNA radio show. Now, I key point is investing in venture capital of any sort, whether it's angel or um, any sort of startup, does require you to be an accredited investor. Uh, So you need to have sufficient annual income or sufficient assets. And uh, if you want to get involved in VC, very often those minimums are very, very high, which may be out of the reach of many of our humble millionaire listeners. Uh, Another thing that really struck me as we talked about some of the uh, things and the exciting people and the the real greats in this industry is if you go back if you haven't or if you have uh, then go back and listen to or read the book Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Howard Becker uh, I can point to one of my favorites uh, he talks about 17 wealth files that differentiate all of us have these wealth files it's just a matter of what's programmed in them differentiates the wealthy uh, from the others if you will And one of those, number five specifically, is the poor person or those people that don't succeed in a big way think of the obstacles. Same situation, they see the obstacles. The wealthy or rich person will see the opportunity and keep driving toward that. And the other wealth files support that in terms of keep moving forward. So I thought some great uh, examples that were brought up by Rick. Now, part of our objective of this show to make sure all our listeners become accredited investors, by the way, and uh, as I've mentioned, our objective is to help one million listeners become millionaires. And unless the definition changes dramatically for accredited investors, a millionaire will qualify. Now, there are many investors clamor for these uh, initial allocations of uh, IPOs or initial public offerings, publicly, public first time uh, it's on the publicly traded market, and sometimes they're repeat uh, issues, but Generally, those companies were owned or funded by angel investors or venture capital firms before that. So those were the investors truly on the ground floor, and they earn the high returns before you buy shares in an IPO. 
choice is yours. Follow the crowds, get an average performance, or invest ahead of the crowd, just like our guest, Rick Gibson, does. Now, being on the ground floor is not for conservative investors, even though professionals like Rick do extensive due diligence. A significant percentage of the companies they invest in will not meet expectations, so you do have to worry about uh, you know, potentially losing some of that money. So, as as he pointed out very very appropriately, you'd never want to just invest in one or two or maybe even three early stage companies. You'd want to plan on building a uh, portfolio of them, and you don't want it necessarily to be a huge portion of your portfolio. You want to make sure that you have a broad diversification in the rest of it. Now, on our next shows, we'll plan to dig deeper into angel capital and in future shows, several more alternative investment topics, including commodity trading and forex trading. So I just shared with you several good reasons to make sure you tune in to the Wealth DNA Radio Show every second and fourth Monday. We'll continue to share the investment fundamentals, some great investment ideas like you heard about today, and more importantly, inspire you to be as wealthy as you want to be. Part of the inspiration that Rick talked about. The next uh, Wealth DNA radio show is the fourth Monday of June, Monday, June 14th, 9 a.m. Arizona time, same station, same time. As I mentioned, in our next show, we'll have James Gulka. I, I actually, I mean, I have mentioned his name earlier, uh, the uh, managing director of AZ, Arizona Technology Investor Forum, often referred to as just ATIF. Even if you happen to be an investor who's decided you're not going to invest in entrepreneurial companies, and I can argue whether that's good or bad, I know you'll learn a lot about upcoming companies and technologies by joining us. After all, the future ain't what it used to be, a quote most of us attribute to that uh, great philosopher and baseball great, Yogi Berra. Now, one of the biggest concerns I had about moving to Arizona six years ago was that what happens when the water supply continues to dwindle as the population grows? Now, I knew this was a potential problem for the next 15 years or so, but I'm absolutely convinced the problem will be solved with the continued investment of nanotechnology, something we haven't talked about too much on this show yet. So even if you decide personally not to invest in these upcoming technologies and companies, you're very likely to become a customer of theirs. The archive of past shows is available on WealthDNA.us. If you've got some suggestions or questions, whether about venture capital, other investment topics, or you haven't received emails reminding you about the show, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. See you in two weeks. Happy investing. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.